Hey, welcome to Scuttlebutt Podcast. I'm Rich Mellon, and today I have a guest all the way from across the pond over in jolly old England, <laughs> Roger Ayton, and he says he is in northeastern part of England, um, a province or county or whatever called Yorkshire. What is it that you have? Do you have provinces or counties? What, what is yeah, it? Uh, counties, yeah, counties. So um, they're, they're nothing like your provinces. <laughs> you can probably fit the UK into Alberta, I think. Um, so yeah, the time many t- uh, several times, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, our provinces break down into counties, though, as well. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, pleasure to talk to you, Roger. You reached out to me. Uh, I forget what the conversation was about, but th- that you were you were uh, in uh, northeastern uh, England, and that you were a gamekeeper. Oh, I, I yeah. saw that. We were talking about people about, yeah, it was another podcast. Yeah, I remember now. Busy, busy time. <laughs> anyway, uh, as a gamekeeper, so tell us, give us your job description. This just sounds so cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> sounds like it. Um, so it's quite handy that you've had the last podcast with your friends from South Africa. Yes. Um, in that my job is is an amalgamation of a PH and a trapper, essentially. Okay. So we've got both sides to manage. Um, so we I manage an area of six thousand acres, um, which probably doesn't sound that big to you, but that's quite big over here. <laughs> that's uh, uh, that's quite sizable in England. Yes. Um, so they, they vary in size. Um, I have two staff that work for me as well. Um, so we manage day-to-day everything on that, that land. So it's not just a trapping aspect, it's habitat. It is uh, maintenance of infrastructure, roads, um, absolutely everything on that 6,000 acres uh, essentially comes through us. We work with farmers as well. Um, but that, that's another part of, of the layers that, that go onto it. So on those 6,000 acres, you've got different concerns of um, sporting side as a shooting hunting side that we run. Um, you've then got the uh, farming aspect that is run by the farmers in conjunction with us. And they really work, we really dovetail that. That's not, not separate entities. Um, although they're separate businesses, we work together. Um, and then you've got a large amount of public um, public uh, access really which you're guessing is not too much of a trouble for you guys up there well um, so when you're talking about six thousand acres like here if, if i manage six thousand acres it somebody definitely owns it like it is it yeah. is um it's private land if if i'm managing it um or i have some sort of concession to it but you're talking about this this is an amalgamation then so you have there's a corporation or something that has yeah, so they can be run in different ways. Um, you can own the um, the estate or the land. You can own everything. So you could own the land, the shooting rights, and within that can come a, um, it was historically a vermin right, but that's probably been superseded by all amalgamation into hunting right now. So you could you could have a, a shooting lease or right without owning the land, um, and that will give you certain rights. Um, a lot of these old estates will own everything. Um, and then there's been a, quite a change in, it's always happened over the years, but you've gone from your old lords who owned land and the gentry uh, to then the investment bankers coming in, buying it with money uh, and investing that way um, because they were interested in hunting and shooting. So it's a different aspect. So what we call old money and new money, 
Um, we have those of, terms too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, so that, it's, it's it's old money and oil money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're we're seeing uh, we see that change in it, um, and sometimes the the old money might say we'd like to keep hold of the land, um, but we can't afford to run it, so they might lease that uh, their shooting rights um, to somebody else. Um, and then that would be employed, and then it would be up to them to employ gamekeepers or whatever. So there's there's two aspects to it. You can have a, a, a newer money side to it and an older money, um, both going for the same thing really, um, and that's trying to produce um, birds hunting, um, depending on where you are. Oh, okay. I, I I'm I'm getting a better picture. So it's it's a source of income, and and they will take the the hunter's money because it is money, right? It's not that they're they're hugely supportive of it. Uh, well, in a way, um, you'll never make money. Uh, <laughs> these guys will never make money doing this. So the new money coming in, it's probably money they can afford to spend um, and not have to worry about. Uh, you'll, you'll, if you're doing it in wild birds like we are, so we are solely uh, red grouse, um, you can't really run that as a commercial aspect because, because it's a wild bird. We can do everything we can on the ground. We create habitat. We control predators. Um, we control even things down to the, the tick, so sheep tick and deer ticks. Um, and then we still can't do anything about the weather. So you could do everything you wanted, uh, and that would uh, ruin it at the end of it. So sometimes you get a good year and a bad year for no fault of any human interaction or anybody doing anything wrong. It could be a nature problem. I, I know with our native grouse, if it, if it rains a lot when they just after the eggs are hatched, You'll lose most of the most of the year just because that those little birds get pneumonia and they get wet. They can't they can't survive, right? That's it. Exactly the same. Exactly the same. I go, go back a sec here. You said you you control ticks. How on earth do you control ticks? <laughs> this, this is this is probably one of the um, the aspects people don't realize about our job. So um, we have a program in place um, where we work with um, farmers um, and. I'm sure you can imagine there's, there's always can be conflict with farmers. Um, I've gone really well with most farmers I've worked with. Uh, and I've got to say, I've got some fantastic guys to work with here. And it's down to, it's working with them. So we will provide and pay for the treatment uh, for their sheep. We use their sheep like, uh, as we call them, woolly mops. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, so, so they're around, the vector. Yes, so there's probably around 2,000 sheep uh, in total on on this place. Yeah, probably 6,000 eggs, 2,000 sheep um, in certain times of the year. And historically, they would have put them out. They would have treated them for the health of the sheep. Uh, however, we pay for them to do it far more often. So they're getting treated now four times a year. And then they put the sheep out, tick it onto the sheep uh, with what we treat them with. Once the tick bites the sheep, instead of latching on as it does reproducing, it, it dies because the sheep have been uh, treated. So you're so, killing ticks all the time. Okay, so is that like prithium or what, what are you using? Um, we, I'll be honest with you, I don't know the chemical uh, we're really using. It's, um, uh, we use Crovet as the, as the main, as we've got a pour on um, sort of additive, um, and that works really well. It's quite simple to use. It's okay. lined on the back of the sheep. Um, and that is so effective. That's fascinating. What a what a, a great uh, 
hand in glove cooperation between uh, two disparate uh, users of the land. Uh, you know, you're... Uh, yeah, we it's it really helps us. Um, it obviously helps them that we you know we're paying for it. They they get the benefit as well of the health of the sheep is so much better um, because they're not getting drained and um, so it, it all goes hand in hand and and really testament that you can go off our boundaries of our estate um, onto other areas around us and you'll get eaten alive by ticks. Um, so it's, it's the same thing in South Africa. The, yeah. On uh, if you're hunting an area that has uh, a working sheep or cattle or or goat farm. They treat their, they dip the, dip them, I, bl I believe they dip them uh, several times a year, but because they, they're in the, in the, you know, the graze through the, through the wild and that they helps control the ticks. And, and so the game animals profit from that because there's a lot less tick load on them. Uh, yeah. And you have never seen ticks like you uh, will see in South Africa, like, oh my God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and we've hunted areas that were working farms you know i mean you're talking pretty vast areas some of them are you know are, are 20 miles by 20 miles you know they, they're a huge area and and uh you know there'll be valleys and mountains and all that and of course you're the game is usually on the on the hills or the mountains and that but there's still the tick load is still affected by by the fact that there's those working cattle farms in the in the uh valley that is you know helping control the, the, the ticket another thing was was the um the aloes the aloe vera they grow quite large there I, mean, you, I don't know if you've seen them or not they're beautiful um they'll grow taller than you but uh the animals themselves like the elan and that will eat the leaves of the aloe vera and that helps with ticks as well all right yeah yeah oh, in some, yeah in, in some places like there's a heart in the middle of that you know how an aloe vera has those big it's a big succulent it's got a big succulent uh uh, type uh, leaf on it you know it's fat and you break yeah. it open that's where aloe vera juice comes from and all, everything well down in the middle of all that where all these leaves start with there's what they call the heart and the the tree can take an immense uh, or the plant can take an immense amount of abuse until they, they take that heart out and and the uh the elan are the are the worst for it they'll take and break it apart then use their horns for for breaking it apart and then they eat that that heart out of there well now that 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 aloe will die it's, right. So it's it's one one of those those, those crazy situations, but, but I so what are the crops that are grown the most there? Is it sheep or uh, yeah? So so on our land, um, because we're uh, what we call an upland estate, so um, it's heather moorland. Um, so I'm going to be careful this claim because the claim always was that it was. Three quarters of the world's heather moorland is in the UK. Really? Uh, and this is, uh, there is, it can be found elsewhere as a bit in Scandinavia and places. Um, and it'd be, it'd be wrong to say that it was a wild environment. It has been managed for centuries for either grazing, um, sporting aspects, whether that's deer, grouse. Um, and that now is quite protected or quite, um, it's sought after in these areas. So years gone past where they were spreading lime, turning things into arable pasture. Uh, we're now protecting this quite a lot. Um, so we are, um, we still got, um, so that's what's on the, on the ground here. So it's, it's a naturally, it's, it's a naturally occurring plant, but it's then uh, maintained so that we can do something with it. 
um, and, and, and have the best health essentially for the birds, for the sheep. Um, and we can we do that through cutting, burning it. So burning is a real tool of ours. Um, and that goes for everything. If we've got better ages and variety of it, um, we can get essentially better broods, healthier birds, uh, and same with the sheep. They're then better, healthier, bigger, bigger crops and, and more lambs. So it all goes hand in hand. And that's Heather? Heather, that yeah. Heather. Yeah. And it's kind of what it what kind of plant is it? Can you uh, it's like a, a shrub. It's like a mini shrub. Um, it'll grow, if you leave it, it can grow, I'm going to say around a metre tall before it starts splaying out. So it'll sort of grow up and up and up and then it'll eventually grow outwards. Um, okay. And then it'll, it'll degenerate at that point. Um, and depending on where you are in the country, it will grow at different rates. So um, here it'll probably grow about four to five inches a year in a good growing year. Um, and then if you get onto higher moors, um, some of the Scottish moors, some of the uh, further west, where it's higher and wetter, um, it hardly grows at all. It's a really slow growing plant. And that also depends on what's underneath, what soil quality is like. Um, so there's no two places the same. I could go 10 miles down the road and there might be another estate essentially doing the same things, but we will look completely different. So Heather is... Um must be a like a very good grazing a very good uh, yeah very good um there's a lot of things eat heather um i say whether it's it's uh you can't put cattle on it but they don't do too well on it um apart from highland, things like highland cows some traditional old style um uh, cattle so scottish highland cattle are, are quite popular now um to put onto heather um then you've got your your upland sheep breeds that are specifically for that type of ground um, and then the red grouse is so um, reliant on heather, it is, is completely reliant on that plant. So the health of that plant uh, directly correlates to your birds. I, I can imagine. I can just the way you described it. I it would be it would be very very perfect habitat for a grouse. What else is heather used for? Um, essentially, it used to be baled at times um, in the past. So they could use it as bedding. Um, it is largely speaking, it now doesn't have any other uses. Um, it, it's, it's on, on, you know, it, it's banned on, on the moors, um, on the upland areas, like tall upland areas. Um, and, and it's, yeah, depending on how that ground's managed as to what, what it will be used to harbour, but that's on, on the lot of sporting estates. It's so when you use the word moor, yeah. are we talking about, is it a, is it wet? Is it dry? Is it boggy? Is it uh, flat? Um, <laughs> probably a bit of everything. Um, so if you get onto, there's a, there's a, whole, uh, there's a line of, oh, we can't really call them mountains because you have proper mountains. We have rolling hills, really. <laughs> so the, the spine of the UK, uh, spine of England anyway, has a, a line called the Pennines, which is essentially our mountains. Um, and that has a lot of the, the mowers in it. Um, that's high ground, wet ground, boggy. Um, you'll get a mixture up there of different grasses, wetter habitat. And then the other areas of the, of the UK that they, they find heather in. Um, so if you get up to the east coast of Yorkshire, um, it's quite dry, it's completely opposite, um, but it still grows heather. Uh, but the plant itself, although it's, although it's still heather um, and you 
you do get a couple of different varieties, which is complicated matters, but you do get different varieties. Um, there's, um, the, the Ling Heather, which is the predominant heather, is, uh, if you find it in the, in the Pennine rows on the high wet ground, it's a delicate plant, so it's quite susceptible. So you could drive over it with machines uh, three, four, five times, and you'd start to kill it. Um, but if you draw over it on the dry mowers, where it's a stronger, more virile plant, um, you'll, you'll, it, will, uh, it will stand more pressure. Um, so it's, it's, depending on where you are, the same plant looks different. Oh, that's cool. And, and, and it's, it's, nat it's native and it's, so it's a, what you're doing to, I mean, you're protecting the, the native bird. I, get, I take it red grouse is native. Yeah. And you're, uh, you know, you're protecting the heather to, to protect it as well. Tell me about the grouse. How big is this bird? And so it is, what do you think it is? It's just a bit bigger than partridge. Um, so we've got three types of grouse in the UK. We've got a red grouse, a black grouse, and the capicurli. Um, so there's not many capicurli. They're isolated now to certain areas in Scotland. Um, and some of the conservation bodies bought out the land where they were found and doing a pretty bad job of it. Um, but we'll look. Uh, then... Uh, but the their virtue grouse. signaling just their virtue signaling is spot on, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> the birds are all dead, but we protect them. Yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah, they ride that horse into the ground here all the time, too. <laughs> yeah. I, I find that something uh, echoes whenever I listen to something from the states or yourselves. It's, it's almost a mirror image. It's the same problems, different bodies, but it's the same problems wherever you are in the world. Well, when you look at it, like, I mean, if all of that money that they can raise from silly little cat women and stuff like that, and yeah, I'll get hate mail over that one. But anyway, <laughs> from silly little cat women, can you imagine if that might, if you guys got that money to, to manage, you know, I mean, sure, you're managing it for, for the, the sporting and that, but I mean, you're, you're, you're protecting the wildlands, you're protecting the birds, you know, you're, you're managing, uh, the, the predators, the vermin, all that kind of stuff. You're actually doing something. You're not yeah. pretending to do something, right? Like I, exactly. I, I've always, ever since Cecil the Lion got shot yeah. in South <laughs> Africa, I've been there. I've been, I actually <laughs> been on that land, you know, like, I mean, it was, it, it was crazy. And, uh, you know, that guy got so terribly put upon for, for, he did nothing wrong. He did absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, after, after he was publicly, flagellated and, and and lost everything and and they, they admitted well he did nothing wrong you know well that's good thanks thanks at this point right uh yeah all that you know they, they then they started you know attacking over the the uh uh you know that we got to protect the the elephants and all that kind of stuff and and when i talk with the people in, in africa they, they say you know and they're, they're about to tell the rest of the world to kiss off and the reason yeah. being is that, you know, places like Botswana have, have a hundred thousand too many elephant, you know, yeah. they, you know, they have, and it's just destroying things. And they say, you know, you want to sit there in, in merry old England and tell us how to run it, but you come here, you come spend your money. Don't, don't just virtue signal. Right. And that's exactly. always my biggest, that's always my biggest uh, uh, concern is that the people who, uh, whether it's for solar panels and, and windmills and all that, what they always you know what they always dream of as being the perfect world is this non-consumptive we you know you you, you take 100 acres to to raise a cow and and all this kind of stuff stuff that's, that just doesn't work it's just impossible 
we don't even have enough arable land on, on the world on on earth if the world was to become vegetarian or vegan you know what i mean we just don't yeah. have enough arable land you know uh you know i just wish it's really stupid to, to even waste time thinking about it but i just wish that the, that the people that had the power to, to milk those crazy cat ladies could actually put that money to some real use you know rather yeah, than, than 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 causing problems for people who are actually doing something you know yeah. in in africa you're talking about a, a different society whatsoever and there the number one saying is it, if it pays it stays and all yeah. that means is that they will never run out of chickens goats and cows because you know people <laughs> eat them and 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 it pays to to raise them uh, they can't afford to have elephants and elands and and rhinoceroses on the landscape just to look at. That is something that, you know, our, our much more affluent Western society can afford. They can't, you know. Definitely, definitely. I um, certain members of my extended family, if you like, uh, uh, heavily into um, orangutan conservation, which sounds completely <laughs> complete contrast to uh, to my profession. Um, but as they say, they they cannot um, preach to the natives um, out there that are cutting these forests down um, to grip black palm oil. Uh, the conservation um, bodies out there, so we can't go and preach to these people because they're starving. They need to feed their children. And we, from a Western perspective, are telling them how they should be doing it rather than giving them the, the tools to do it. And then there'll be, you know, rich, to rich but affluent Western people want to go out there go to these camps, do these fulfillment uh, weeks, fortnights, three weeks, uh, to make themselves feel good that they're saving orangutans, but not addressing the core of the problem. Um, it's crazy, crazy. Well, I mean, look, look, at, look at Kenya. Here's your, here's your classic example. Kenya outlawed uh, big game hunting in 1977. Since then, the, 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 the number of... Uh, Big game species that, that have survived outside of, of their, their major parks has dropped by 80%. Why? Because the people that used to make money from, from being associated with hunting and hunt camps and all that now have to uh, grow grow their, their patch, of, patch of beans or, or whatever. And animals got no place in that. So they kill them, they eat them, they, but they, they can't be, be eating their beans. It, it's, it, you can't get that through to people. Just no. <laughs> take a look at the numbers. And there's Kenya. Now, they haven't allowed big game hunting since, since 77. So, you know, obviously, big game hunting wasn't the, the cause of, of any uh, animal shortages. That they, it was the cause that there was animals, you know, that the, they, they took care of them. You know, it's, it's such, such a, a, a different situation. But get, let's get back to your, um, your situation. And I'm amazed that... that there is so much interest in, in a single bird, like to, to control yeah. and take care of like your gamekeeper and you have two assistant gamekeepers. Let's mm -hmm. talk about that for a minute. How do you become a gamekeeper? <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes you're probably the right place, right time. Um, was that my, yeah, it was kind of the case with me, if you like. Um, I, I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, it's the coolest name. I, 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 I'd love to have that on my resume somewhere. I was a gamekeeper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's uh, it harks back. So if you say it nowadays, it harks back to uh, everyone has this vision of the Victorian gamekeeper with a, a side beside 
12 gauge under his arm um, with a black Labrador next to him. Um, and a cool shout, hat. Shouting at the local peasants to get off the Lord's land. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's changed somewhat since then. Um, <laughs> I've been doing it for 17 years now. Um, and even in that time, it's changed dramatically. Um, I got into it uh, straight after left school at 16, um, became a trainee. Um, about a two year period of being a trainee. Um, and just like any other job, if you can stomach the worst of it, the, the rest is pretty easy. Um, uh, I worked for a great guy when I first started. He, his ethic was always, he would never ask me to do something he wouldn't do himself. Um, and and he's, he's, a, he's a very good friend to this day. Um, and that sort of instilled in you everything you kind of needed to know, um, or not everything, because you're still learning, as, as you will be with trapping, trap lines, working out in the countryside. You see things every day. Um, that it's just you, how do you explain that to somebody sometimes? Um, or they don't believe you because you haven't put it on social media. I yeah, I, I get these questions, and they 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 will ask me the most archaic or or off the beaten path question about an animal that I've perhaps never seen or heard. And they're maybe maybe they don't even believe that I that I don't have the answer that I just don't want to share it. You know what I mean? But there <laughs> yeah. is so much. I've, one of the things that I've taken to saying far too much is that you know if you haven't seen this happen before in trapping, you just haven't been trapping long enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, you have some very unusual things happening. You go like, wow, I never seen yeah. that one coming. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> We have a saying that if you if you haven't missed a fox, you haven't shot at many. Yeah, that's right. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's exactly the same thing. But uh, yeah, so you just you're just evolving and learning. Um, so I, I did. Yeah, we do two years there. Um, then became um, an underkeeper at another estate, moved on, spent seven years there. Same again, learned so much. It was completely different to where I'd been, where I was brought up. Um, it rained all the time, so I was quite glad when I did leave and seven years later, I grew wet feet, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was the, the, second, uh, was the second highest moor in England. Um, and it just hit the wet, got the weather, uh, everything coming off the Atlantic. Um, and then moved to another estate with with an idea that hopefully one day I would be head keeper, running my you know, running the job for somebody. Um, and yeah, that happened a few years ago at twenty seven. Oh, cool! It's a, it sounds a lot like uh, like a guild. Yes, yeah, I would say more so. Yeah, yeah, that that's cool. I like I like that that tradition. Uh, yeah, you know, like you, today's you world, we just, we are so short on traditions, and and that that sort of tradition, you know, uh, it's like I I, I so respect uh, the PHs in 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 South Africa that because they have a very strong tradition, and there's a big schooling that's involved, and and all that kind of stuff. I I like that. I mean, I like that. They're 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 just not instant PHs. You know what I mean? And absolutely, know, there's, there's 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 new um, as with everything. Um, you know, the certificates and those accreditations and um, I suppose more of it health and safety that has come in for the better for a lot of things. Um, but you just still can't learn that. You still can't learn the fundamentals without doing the job, um, being with someone, seeing what they've done. Um, 
and, and take a bit of bit from everyone. You know, I work for I worked on four different estates and, and you took a bit from everyone. Everything's yep. different the way you went. Um and it's one of those jobs working your way up through through the ranks, uh, which I guess a lot of today's society never really wants to do that. You know, we want to fast track and get there and Hey Rich here. Sandy and I are pleased at the rapid growth of our exclusive community, Trapping Inc. at Locals.com. We created the community to connect more closely with our fans, friends, and supporters without the interference and censorship of social media companies. Because this community is subscriber exclusive, there is no censored photos, shadow banning, and deplatforming as happens on Twitter and Facebook. Trolls are non-existent, as not a one will spend a nickel and put their money where their mouth is to protest on a paid site. You know it. We are steadily moving all Trapping Inc. YouTube videos and podcasts as quickly as time and bandwidth allow. We're tickled and surprised to see how large of library we must move. As well, we are sharing articles on trapping and guns and shooting. Our new TV series, Married to the Hunt, videos are here too. Hours and hours of never-before-released to the internet hunting and fishing from around the world. Trappinginc.locals.com will be the exclusive home of all Trapping Inc. content from the past and into the future. What else is there to do? Well, there's a forum for everyone to post pictures on and interact. You can message us directly on trappinginc.locals.com as well as interact with all the other subscribers. These are all people with common interests. Get in here. This whole venture is about taking the Trapping Inc. TV community to the next level, building a community of shared interest and interacting with all of our friends. Who knows where we can go from here? Just go to locals.com and sign up for a free account. Then search for Trapping Inc. and subscribe for $5 a month. That's it. Go to locals.com to open a free account and then subscribe for $5 a month to Trapping Inc. Help us spread the truth about a way of life and the responsible, ethical management of the wild resources. Trappinginc.locals.com. Now back to the show. Well, part of it too, like my wife uh, was a, a VP for a largest bank in Canada and for 20 some years and but it ends up you know then then she's got these people underneath her so she's constantly hi- hiring people you know the people people trading out and that and as the time goes on it became more and more important for them to have like an mba you know master's yeah. business association <laughs> and uh that was that was like the crowning achievement in these kids life they were coming out of out of uh university with this mba and they figured that they already deserved her job that she yeah. had taken yeah. 20 20 some years to earn and and she was she was managing 1.4 billion dollars and and uh, but they figured they they deserved that but better better pay than what she was getting. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I think I think what I like about the guild and the, and those sort of uh, situations like your gamekeeper situation is that you had to earn it. There was no shortcuts. Yeah. There was no online training. There was they and and you had to like you said if you can put up with the worst of it. Well, I know what the worst of it is. Is like when, when I started in construction way back when. You know, first job I go on to the guy looks at me and he, and, and he says, you know, you got a pretty good size, size, size of shoulders on you there. Yeah. Yeah. He said, here's your shovel. He says, you should probably name it because it's, you're going to, you're going to live with it for a while. You know what? <laughs> and you know what? You could take that as, as negative and think, well, you know, cause I'm big, all I'm going to be is, 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 is a set of shoulders or whatever. But, you know, I, I twigged on it. I thought, well, I can be more valuable. And, you know, if you could keep three shovelfuls of gravel in the air at one time, pretty soon they decide you had something on the ball and they moved you on to something else. You know, so even if you're pushing a broom or, or whatever you're doing, you know, I worked one time in uh, 
my, my wife and I were just talking about this on our, our trip home from the, from the cabin yesterday. And, and uh, I worked for a company and it was called environmental sump. And what we did was it was in the oil field. So you, you would go to uh, you'd have these process water sumps, right? So huge, a dugout, a big hole in the ground that's full, filled with water that they used for, for drilling the well and for, for processing the, the well, getting it online, all that kind of stuff. Well, it has to be chemically treated. It has to be circulated. This water has, it is the filthiest job you've ever done in your life. You are mud to the top of your head day in, day out. And you smell bad. <laughs> and on and on. But you know what? I mean, it, it was it was no time at all. And, and uh, I wasn't the guy that was down in the in the sump moving the, the pumps around or anything, you know, it's just yeah. if you're on the ball, you earned your way out of there. That was that that was the way the game was played. I like that. I like that because yeah. today's world there are I, I think my kids were the last generation that had to actually earn something. You know what I mean? And you're yeah. younger than them by 10 years. So that's, that, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm probably quite an anomaly uh, my, yeah, my age group, I suppose. Don't say um, that because, yeah. you know, that, 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 that actually uh, breaks my heart that, that people that know how to work for a living in, in their 20s and that are, are an anomaly, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was, when, I, when I first started my job as a, as a trainee, uh, exactly like yourself, I got handed a shovel. Well, I got, tell a lie. Um, the, the gamekeeper I was working for said, um, well, uh, I suppose you'll, you'll uh, want a shotgun now. And I was thinking, well, yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's part of the job, isn't it? You know, and I'm thinking, yeah. Uh, and he handed me a shovel and he said, learn to use that first. Yeah, <laughs> I could have got along good with him. <laughs> yeah. Him and I, we, we're peeps. Yeah, I, I, we speak the yeah. same language. <laughs> well, you talk about so many different estates. So there's a lot of estates then? Yes, quite a lot. Um, so I wouldn't hazard a guess really as to what the average size of a state is. Um, in this area, we're looking at, let me quick think, I think it's about 56,000 acres in this, roughly in this area, and there are 13 estates. Okay. Um, uh, in that. Um, and there'll be also be a couple of smaller bits of ground that are shot on, uh, might be managed, but shot on a weekend by a syndicate of guys, um, uh, you know, outside of work or, um, other bits owned by farmers, maybe done on their, their basis. So, um, yeah, the, 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 so the biggest one in this area is about 15,000 acres. Um, they generally get bigger when you get into Scotland. Um, bigger areas um, yeah, and upwards, you know, they're 30,000 acres plus of that. Um, when you talked about... The uh, the grouse and said that they were larger than a partridge. When you're talking about partridge, are you talking about quail? Uh, no, no. So the quail are smaller again. We don't have any quail um, in this country. Okay. Um, so we've got uh, the grey partridge. Um, I used to have a stuffed one, but I don't know, uh, one of the dogs decided to uh, attack it one day. <laughs> so I could be showing you that one. Um, so we have the, the grey partridge, which we call uh, the English partridge uh, in this country. Um, and then we have um, the uh, French red light, um, which I think is very similar to the Hungarian 
um, I wouldn't say it, um, which is imported um, and released for shooting purposes. So you've got probably three aspects of shooting birds in the UK. You have a wild birds, as in uh, moment management, grouse um, sort of management. You've got uh, reared pheasants, which can be reared in captivity and released. Uh, and then you've got a bit of an amalgamation. There are some areas trying to have wild pheasant shoots now, but essentially at one point those birds will have been released somewhere. And then people are now trying to create habitat where they can occur naturally and just take a surplus off. So we've got a different different aspects of it. Um, the reason you can't rear grouse in captivity, because a lot of people say, why don't you just do that? And you'll have more birds, you'll have more shooting. They are very difficult. It can be done, it's very difficult, very time consuming. Um, and not it's not worth the hassle because the, the grouse themselves, for the first fortnight of their lives, they are specifically reliant on insects. Oh. So to replicate that environment uh, in volume is very, very difficult, as you can imagine. Um, last year, so last year we had a terrible breeding season. They all they hatched fantastic uh, numbers of chicks. Uh, there was, you know, broods of eights and nine chicks running around. And, but there was no, no insects. Um, so they, they all sort of dwindled off and died off um, at about a fortnight old. Um, there was nothing to, to hold them. Um, and given that sustenance. So that's the key difference to why you can't uh, rear grouse in, in artificial condition. What size are we talking? Like a one pound bird, two pound bird, three pound bird? Uh, you're probably looking at a probably a two pound bird. Okay. Yeah, all in, probably about a two pound bird, yeah. Very similar then to our rough grouse or our spruce grouse here in Canada. Yeah, I would imagine, yeah. 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 You see, it's confusing here because we call them both a grouse and a partridge and yet it's right. the same bird. <laughs> and yet, and when, when my friends in the, in the States are talking about partridge, they're talking about quail. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I'm never sure. Are we talking about this big or this big? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're probably about, yeah, probably about a two pound bird. Um, the males and females, there's not a lot of difference between them. Um, a little bit of, Males are slightly bigger, but there's not a lot in it. Um, and, and then, even to look at them in the winter, there's not a lot of difference. The, the cockbirds have a, a red, uh, a wattle above their eye that they display when they're sort of irate or they're trying to display. Uh, and the hens do have one, but we don't really use it and display it. Uh, oh, our spruce grouse does the same thing. Do has a as a red uh, eyebrow or whatever you want to call it that 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 on both sides turns red during the mating season and yeah. on the spruce grouse, but they, they like to eat the buds of a spruce tree and they taste about that good. They're very, very, very <laughs> dark meat or like, like liver purple, like that, yeah. that dark of, of meat. Then the red grouse is what white or, or dark meat. Um, it's dark. It's, it's brown. So completely brown. Um, so actually earlier when I said we had three species of grouse, it's completely wrong. We actually have ptarmigan as well in Scotland. Yep. Um, and the ptarmigan, uh, I'm assuming like that, you guys as well, they, they turn white in the winter. Yep. They're the only bird that changes colour in the winter in the UK. Um, whereas do, you have, have, do you have the rock or willow ptarmigan? Um, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't know what subspecies it is because the, 
there's been studies done that the red grouse is related to the willow grouse in Scandinavia, but then they've also decided it's now is its own species. So presumably when the land bridge ended to Europe, we, we've now got an isolated pocket. So um, as far as I know, our time again, I couldn't tell you which variety it comes down under. Oh, that's cool. I, that's cool. So your job is to make sure that these guys, all, that you get the most uh, of the hatch every year that makes it. What does that involve? I mean, as as a gamekeeper, you say that you're a trapper. What what animals gives you give you trouble? Yeah. So um, so <laughs> yeah. So in the UK, we don't have the the huge predators like yourself. So um, it's quite refreshing watching you guys go trapping, and you're trapping for a product, um, whereas we are trapping. And in the, in the 1980s, um, gamekeepers used to make a nice little sideline. Um, when they trapped foxes, caught foxes, shot foxes, uh, they would skin them off. And they were getting £30 um, for a pelt in the 1980s. Uh, when you consider that was realistic, it was about half a, day, half, a, half, half a week's wages for some people for a fox. It was a lucrative business. Um, and then as the time's gone on and we've had successive governments, the fur trade in the UK has just died. Um, it is possible to do it. When you're talking now getting five pounds for a, a, a skin pelt, um, whereas the time put into that, it's really not worth doing it. So none of our trapping nowadays is done for fur. It's all done for pest control, um, whether that be protecting grouse, protecting other birds. Um, sometimes it'd be simple as protecting lambs. Um, so we're mainly targeting foxes because the, because grouse and other ground nesting birds are ground nesters that time of year you can't sort of afford to have that that coming through um we also have a lot of uh, wading birds so we have um curlews lapwings golden plover and we have a few others oyster catchers red shank and they are seasonal visitors with us in the summer so they they will be on the coast on the estuaries uh, all winter and then they come up here to breed and it's an absolute haven for them where they're getting looked after by gamekeepers. They're producing four and a half times more chicks than areas where they are, where it is banned. Wow. wow. So uh, that, that's the sole reason why. And, and there was a, a move a few years ago to get away from, I suppose, to make gamekeepers a bit more public friendly, that we were doing it for the weirdest. And I thought that was wrong. We should say that we, we be, you know, be completely honest about this. We are managing it for grouse and shoot purposes. But this is a massive knock-on effect that, that doesn't cost uh, largely to the taxpayer. Uh, this is I, I totally agree with you on this, and, and and here's why is because they don't, you know, I mean, you're doing so much good in general, and you need to be bragging on the fact that if it wasn't for hunters and the money of from hunters that that, that this would be happening. You know, now somebody yeah. else would have to pay for it. And Absolutely. you know, we we've we've got to quit uh, we got to quit hiding our, our, our candle under a bushel to to quote an old Bible saying, because we got to be proud of what we're doing. Uh, I've I've said this many times, and I always get strange looks when I get it. Was that is that you know trappers should take a page from from the uh, the Gay Pride Association and, and have a parade every year because uh, yeah, uh, well as long as we hide in the closet, you know if you guys hide what you're doing or why you're doing it, you're doing it so that that there can be hunting. 
You're doing it for, for successful game management so that there can be hunting. You shouldn't be hiding that. It needs to be, it needs to be obvious, you know, and after a while they get used to it. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, you know, it works out eventually. <laughs> but you're talking about, about wading birds and I got to go down a bit of a rabbit hole here because <laughs> we were in Spain uh, a few years back. So well, it's probably more than a few year now. And we were hunting Ibex or um, yeah. Ibex, I'm sorry. And uh, we, we uh, ended up staying in a monastery. And they were, the local tourism association had found out that we were there. We were, of course, filming for, for hunting and everything. And so they, they wanted to take us off in this special thing. It was magical and then all this stuff. And, and, and of course, my Spanish is really, really terrible. And, and I said to my wife, I says, where are we going? She says, I don't know, but I think we're going to get fed at some point. You know? I said, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm good. I'm going to get fed, right? <laughs> <laughs> so off we go. And uh, the, they bring along a fellow that, that can actually translate. So they, they start translating and, and tell us what we're doing. And, you know, typical Canadians, we get into a, a, a van with people that we can't, we can't even talk to, right? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're far too trusting <laughs> anyway off off we go and it turns out it, it was the uh the migration of they called them uh the japanese crane and here we call them sandhill cranes and and they're you know they come flying in into these into this lake and of an evening because they're coming in to, to roost for the night kind of thing and and how magical it all is and and it was really funny because we had just finished this was in uh, would have been this our, our uh, this was in December and, and back in in October we just finished doing a hunt for them in in Saskatchewan they're like they're 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 a very very populous bird here and and uh, they're the coolest thing ever when you shoot them out of the sky because it's like shooting a pterodactyl <laughs> they come spiraling down this great thing, all legs and beak and everything and the the farmers hate them and the reason being is that they are the only bird that can actually eat standing grain and they get into of course because they're so tall right. And they uh -huh, get in, yeah. and you have the heads of, of barley and, and, and wheat and all that. Well, they, they pluck all this off the top and stomp stuff down. And, and when they come in and in clouds big enough to cover, you know, 160 acres, a quarter section, you know, they cover 160 acres of, of grain. They, they just hate them. Where with, you know, in Saskatchewan, of course, they have lots of, of ducks and geese too, but they can't touch anything unless it's already in the swaths. So once it's been knocked down, then the, then the, the, the birds can start eating them, but not these, not these cranes. Well, while we're in the the uh, bus, this, this this van traveling along, I, I pull up on my phone and, and show them footage of, of us shooting these birds in Saskatchewan <laughs> a couple months before. Well, it was probably it, it, we, we couldn't get out of the out of the uh, bus fast enough. The, the the atmosphere cooled off a lot. <laughs> yeah. This is a very special bird for them. <laughs> yeah. And I was sharing my favorite recipe, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they call them ribeye of the sky. Yeah. Whoever called them ribeye of the sky though is either never ate sandhill crane or ate ribeye. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> 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 they're kind of equal to like a speckle belly goose. They're you know. They're, they're, they're okay in a pinch but <laughs> we have this rule if you shot it you ate it so i mean <laughs> your fox are your biggest problem then yeah so i the fox are the biggest problem um and they they don't just take um they don't just take birds in the, in the springtime but the problem is with the springtime and they're sitting on a nest they, they can't get away yeah um 
I have some footage, I'll see if I can get it across to you, um, on a thermal imaging camera of foxes hunting at night. Um, and the old gamekeepers used to say, and this was, uh, say, anecdotal, but they didn't have the equipment. Um, and they used to say, well, what, what a fox will do is it will um, get, get the brood on, on the wind in the summer. They'll get the brood and it will go into the brood and, and it will... You know, the, the parents will jump out of the way and they will uh, make a noise and then the, the chicks will jump out and then they, the foxes will, will go around and eat you, the chicks one by one. Uh, in my experience, that's completely wrong. Um, and that's only because through technology we've managed to learn this, is that they will do exactly, they will come onto the brood, they will win them, but they'll start running, sprinting flat out. They don't stop, they run flat out into the brood, into the birds. And they might catch one when they scatter. Um, and then they just completely ignore it. They just go on to the next one and the next one. So they might go into, they will just scatter straight into the brood. I've seen them jumping in the air and catching small poles, about the size of your fist, yeah. um, just to when they're able to flutter, but they're not great. And I've seen them catching them out of the air when they've disturbed them in the dark, and then they'll go on to the next one. Um, and sometimes that, if it's a still night, um, you can hear them from miles. You can hear a fox coming from two or three miles away with the help of the grouse. The curlews, especially, they're really good uh, at telling you what's happening. So you can sit there and listen, um, and that'll tell you more than your eyes will. Um, and you can work out what's happening, where they're coming from. Um, but if that was a wet night, a wet and a cold night, and it scatters all those young birds, not only is it what it's eating, but it's what will die uh, through hypothermia, being away from the parents. So they're, um, far, they're far more destructive than by, by disturbing one or two nests a night than, than, than just yes. cleaning up one nest. Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. Um, I, I shot one uh, a few weeks ago when the eggs, uh, they were still sitting on eggs and um, I was watching it. Well, I was watching it, I was being directed uh, onto it in the dark and I could see it. And I just got set with my rifle uh, and I had the, the, the night vision and everything. And I just about take a shot and a grouse jumped out of the heather and the fox went to, to where the grouse was. Uh, it sort of come around the back of it, it flushed it, put its head to where it was, and a, a second, half a second, it put its head where the grouse was, and then walked off. Uh, six foot, yeah, about six feet later, I shot it, and it had an egg in its mouth. It had taken less than a second to grab an egg out of the nest and walk off with it. Wow. Um, and there was another five eggs left in that nest. Um, so it wasn't a case that it ate all the eggs that day. Some maybe will, um, but until you see all these things, um, and, and as I say, when I shot that, I had it had it as well. And you watch them work you know, fairly systematically on a bit of ground. They'll go up and down, and you know, work in the wind. And uh, you know, they'll visit so many on a night. Uh, and then when you've got young chicks, especially you know, week old, two week, up to sort of three week old, when they can flutter, um, they're sitting ducks. They can't get out of the way. Um, but it's same again, as you said, with trapping things. When you watch, sit and watch wildlife doing these things and going about the business of hunting, it debunks all these myths that you've heard for years of uh, so-called experts. <laughs> no, no, that's it, true. Like, I mean, there's, I, and I deal with this a lot because I, I have people who have, you know, been raised up by old, old trappers and they'll, they'll, they'll be passing on their lore and they will, they'll pass it on to me. You know, like they'll, they'll say, well, you should do this or shouldn't do that. And, and to, you know, you, you try to correct them because, you know, this is, you know, we have proof of, of otherwise, right? 
So yes. sometimes you become more of a politician than than, than anything else. <laughs> I, I mean, what you're saying though, and and here's the part that I really like, is that it's as you were describing that to me, perfect. Mm -hmm. that, that 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 fits in, into the what I know of the uh, the uh, physical characteristics that you know the habits of a of a fox or a coyote or whatever. They are not. Yeah. You know they don't clean up everything. It's like even no. watch your watch your dog. If you throw a handful of apple peelings or carrot peelings out in the in the yard, you know one one dog out of a hundred will go and search for every one of those. The others mm. will have one or two and walk away, and it's a, it's a big mess. I I have two two bird dogs, and one of them is fastidious and cleans up everything. Cleans up his his buddy's plate too, and and the whole work. The <laughs> other one, the other one eats maybe three quarters of what what he comes across. So I understand that. What you're saying is that, that that fox is more likely to just to take one or, or to scatter them and, and then go on to the next. They, they, yeah. they don't have the ability to reason that there's more food there or, or, or anything else, right? No, absolutely. Um, the, the one time we find it uh, is if they're feeding a, a litter of cubs, um, but they might be a bit more systematic. Um, and same again, we, the amount of times we've shot foxes, um, not as much snared them, um, but, but shot them with, in the act, kind of carrying poles. Um, I have a wonderful picture somewhere, um, and that's in the other room, uh, with a, it's got, this box was shot, and it's got two, oh, sort of a lot of fist-sized poles in its mouth. It was obviously taking them away to its cubs. Um, that's the one time that they will try and sort of hunt. Um, you know, it's not for themselves, it's gathering for other things, but uh, otherwise, it's uh, the, the there's no rhyme and reason to it. Sometimes they're just doing their thing uh, out for a night, getting on the camera. Do you have a lot of foxes? Uh, yeah, so we're probably getting around uh, 80 foxes a year. Oh, wow. So, um, and, and what's interesting about it is, uh, uh, we're very interested to hear you uh, talk about your um, starting on a trap line and getting... Um, you know, either a lot of old links and things like that. Um, and then you get to an average. Uh, and that's exactly what we found here. So first year that I took over, uh, we were in, in and around 100. Um, and then we sort of knocked, kind of knocked it back a bit. Uh, we do get peaks as about 80 is sort of an average, but then it, um, it levels out. And that's kind of our average has stayed at that. And I can do that every year. Um, yeah. And that suggests that, that, you know, that's that managing nature type thing. We've taken that boom and bust out of it with the prey species and the, 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 the predators following on. We've, we've just leveled that out, if you like. So although we, we do it all year round, so we're not just trapping in, a, in the winter time for prime fur or anything like that, we've leveled these things out and they're not getting any less, but that's our average. Hey folks, Rich from Trapping Inc. TV here. And we all have our idea of the perfect morning. You know what I'm talking about. For me, the perfect morning starts with the aroma and flavor of freshly brewed Old Smokes coffee. Studies have shown that just the smell of fresh coffee can boost brain activity. No kidding. Well, that's certainly no secret to me. I can barely talk before that first cup. <laughs> just ask Sandy. I'm a dark roast man, and Old Smokes coffee's darkest roast, stout maple, is what gets my day in gear. Extra dark, it's strong, aromatic, and smooth. Gets me revved up for whatever that day throws at me. Old Smokes roast their coffee over wood fires, the old-fashioned way. Wood roasting takes more time, much longer than modern hot air roasting. Slow roasting over wood 
takes the bitter out of the bean and imparts a heavenly taste and aroma from the wood smoke. Old Smokes makes a roast perfect for each person. There are five roasts, from light to extra dark, each roasted over a different wood for a unique flavor. Did you know the darker the roast, the lower the caffeine content? It's true. Caffeine is a volatile oil that evaporates with roasting. The lightest roast has the most caffeine, and the darkest roasts have the most flavor. Right now, you can order from their online store and use our promo code RICH. That's R-I-C-H. And get 10% off your entire order. Pretty simple. Just go to www.olsmokescoffee.com. That's O-L-E smokescoffee.com. And use the promo code RICH. That is promo code RICH for 10% off your entire order. And now let's get to today's show. Well, you, you more than anybody else understands when people look at you and say, well, yeah, until man upset the balance of nature. Man's been part of the balance of nature for centuries. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Millennia. <laughs> exactly. And, and more, more so on this, on this small island, you know, the more and more COVID has highlighted that more than anything. Um, it, it was 67 million people on, on, in the UK on, on this island. Um, I think there's about 32 million in Canada. Yeah, you're, 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 you're nicely double us. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, uh, you're 41 times the area. <laughs> so yeah. uh, th- this is um, this is where we get to uh, the, the notions of, of let nature do its thing. This island is so small in comparison and and relatively overpopulated. You can't go anywhere without finding something that's been touched by man. Um, well, even- not not only that, but every one of those cat ladies that is donating to to Peter or whatever, while they live in their mum's basement flat in, in, in London, they just want to remove themselves from the equation. But you know what, ma'am, you, where you live, animals used to live. You're part of the problem, but they, <laughs> exactly. they, they, they want to pretend that they aren't, you know, it's yes. just you, people like you and people like me that are part of the problem. You know, it's, we're, we're, we're so good at the politics of, of finger pointing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I loved, a friend of mine said uh, a while ago, he said, there's a lot of deer being killed on the road. I said, did you not realize that the road goes through where the deer live? Yeah. Not the other way around. <laughs> I know, it's amazing. We start taking a look at, uh, we have a, an issue in Alberta with wolves. Uh, we're supposed to have, for healthy wolves population in Alberta, we're supposed to have between 12 and 1600. We have about 7,000 more than that. And... Mm when you take a look at, at the, at the number of animals it takes to feed, you know, like, I think, I think for 4,000 wolves, it takes like, uh, uh, uh about 20,000 ungulate to produce enough, enough, uh, animals to feed, just feed those wolves. That doesn't include how many people are, how many are, are hunted. That doesn't include how many are killed on roads. Like we have a massive problem with, with, with animals killed on roads, that kind of stuff, but that's just to feed wolves. So I mean, yeah. when you when you take a look at at the stressors that you have on those populations, you're you're very much more more familiar. I mean, you're down to managing for ticks and that kind of stuff for for your uh, for your your, your partridge. Uh, the world would be a, a mess if you, you let it you let it just run amok at this point. Like I mean, over here we'd all be drowning in a beaver dam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> beaver beavers are are, are quite the. Uh, they're the unending gift, let me tell you, as, as far yeah. as uh, 
you know, causing work for trappers, like, holy cow, there are, well, beavers and, and raccoons are, are probably the two things that, that, uh, um, most of the animal damage control work that, that's done, especially, you know, in the big cities and that, although <laughs> they're having an issue in Vancouver with otters and that really flies in the face of, you know, an otter is so cute and all oh, they're wonderful, yeah. aren't they sweet? And you know, I mean, they have the best PR company in the world, otters. I mean, everybody thinks they're so sweet. I'll tell you right yeah. now. It's somebody that has 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 killed a lot of a lot of fur and skinned a lot of fur, and uh, an otter is part of the mustelid family, so it's one of the weasels, right? It is the one that is the fattest. Like I mean, and if you're if you're a weasel and if you're as hyperactive as an otter is, and you are fat like an otter is, you're damn good at what you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you are really good at what you do. <laughs> okay, I can tell you that. Let's talk about managing though these these, these fox. You know, obviously, you, you're tracking them with uh, with cameras and and uh, but are mostly is it, is it shooting? Is it trapping? Is it snaring? Tell me a little bit about each. Um, it's a bit of I'm saying a bit of everything. Um, so it's uh, yeah the, the ways we do it, we try and have that sort of rounded approach where you've got a bit of everything going on. Um, we can't trap foxes unless it is in a cage trap. So uh, a live catch cage, you can yeah. use a big cage. Um, a lot of the uh, your rent kill guys in the cities and things will use them in back gardens. Um, you try get a, an adult fox to go into a cage in the countryside. <laughs> it's it's an absolute nightmare. Um, and I do laugh when I if I ever watch uh, American hunting shows on on YouTube, um, especially the fox bro guys, and they'll be calling grey fox, be calling coyotes, and then they call a red fox, and it does a great big circle around them. And I think, yeah, that's just it's a completely different animal, um, and they're probably they're one of the hardest things for us to catch. Um, so we can use um, so rifles, uh, yeah, you can shotgun them at close range. Um, but snares are a, are a large part um, of, of fox control in, in the UK. And you can't, um, I, I would imagine you can't use a killing snare, you just use a restraining snare? That's it, yeah. So we, uh, I believe it was on 1981 that uh, self-locking killing snares were banned uh, in this country. Um, so ever since then, um, and if, if I talk to the older gamekeepers that were keeping around then, uh, some of them consider a lot of them consider that that was the wrong way to go because we went down a, a holding route away from a killing snare um, and we sort of it, that was the back pedal start of the back pedal so they you know progressively things have gone backwards backwards if they if you like so we're dropping things off all the time so we also have a um the law regarding snares in the uk we also then have a code of practice which isn't law, but it's a best practice um, advice. Um, so some people will want to follow the best practice. Other people say, well, that's not law. So why can't I, well, why wouldn't I carry on using something that's more effective? Um, so with a, I've got some here. Yeah. Um, so that, a standard fox snare. Um, in the UK, that is, well, you can see that, that is what is sold as a standard snare. Okay. So it's just got a, a standard runner on there. So as long as that's not free running, uh, that's legal. And it has to have a stop there for a foot, so for the deer, 
Oh, okay. The stop. The stop is so that he can't he can't ever compress down, because That's that it. that particular lock it can can be lethal in the right conditions. It does, yeah. If 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 somebody knows and, and bends that the wrong, you know, just slightly, yeah, uh, it, it can then. So this is the thing: we can still buy these off the peg, um, and that's still a legal snare. Um, I think your stop has to be twenty six centimeters, um, and then it has to have a, a swivel in the middle. Yep. So depending on how you do it. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Uh, slow down, slow down. Let me let me see that swivel. Let me see that swivel. Oh, that is very different. Okay, so you yeah, you, so can, that, you can make those yourselves. Pretty much, yeah. yeah so yeah, that yeah. is, um, you know, just, just basically yep. obviously each, each one. Um, th there is an argument that they can get caught because one end can come through the other and yep. could overlap and, and, and with a bit of turning. I've never got to a fox yet that has, that has managed that. Okay. Because um, usually they've got some tension on it and kept the two apart. Um, so I've always found these pretty, you know, as long as they're used right, I've always found them really good to deal with. Um, and then obviously anchored into the into the ground. Um, we can't use drag drag anchors. It's got to be a solid anchor now. Um, so it could uh, be off the, off the ground or stake or or tree or whatever. Yeah. So it's usually um, same again. Quite often it would be through uh, to a to a tree. Um, the best practice guidelines now would like you to stay away from trees for them tang getting tangled up. So if you to follow our best practice. Um, it, it, we then have to use them on, on an open run with a, a ground anchor or a, a stake um, into the ground far enough that it can't get wrapped around that stake. Gotcha, uh, yeah. And then uh, essentially there's no tangle elements to a snare around it uh, as best you can. So um, what, what was the motivation to go away from killing snares? What, what was their number one reason? Uh, public pressure. More than anything, um, as, as most things are, especially in this country, that we, we end up with, uh, you end up with public consultations and, and, and everything goes with emotion rather than... Ballot box, uh, ballot box yeah. biology, we call it. Yes. Uh, yeah. So it, it didn't have, like, I've, I've, I've talked to people where the argument was is that there were too many pets around and that a pet would die. But that, this, that was... It was, it was probably a massive concern in the UK because we have... Um, because it's a bit overpopulated, but we, we've got a lot of, there's a lot of cats running free um, um, everywhere. Um, dogs, people with dogs. There's a lot of areas where people aren't supposed to be running dogs off leads and things, but they do. Um, and as soon as they get caught in the months, that causes more problems. So, uh, yeah, you, you're never going to get away from that. I think every time you set a snare, you, you've kind of got to think about that now, that, that it could be a, you know, a non-target or a, uh, or something like that. Uh, one of the main ones, to be fair, from going away from a killing snare, uh, was the protection of badgers. Badgers? So badgers are highly protected in the UK. No kidding. So, so they have they have the highest uh, animal protection in the UK, the badger. Either your badger is way different than ours, or it has long damn legs or whatever, but it would never get into a fox snare here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, that's it. They, they, um, they now with the with the code of practice is that uh, I mean I've old gamekeepers that used to set them quite low to the ground. I mean I've always gone for quite a high snare in comparison. Um, our guidelines now are that they are set twenty centimeters above the ground. To the bottom of the snare or to the, the top? Bottom of the snare, yeah. Bottom, bottom of the snare. snare, yeah. So you think about it. I mean they 
you watch them a coyote or whatever i mean they trot along with their when they're moving their their head is in line with their spine so that's the height you want it to be at right yeah 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 so that's the the new uh, was a guideline a lot of guys were using uh, we're using it high anyway and i've always used it gone for high um where it would get it was people used to set them under a fence so a hole under a fence yeah and that would be where a badger or something like that could get into it um so same again the, the code of practice is, is away from fences now as well so don't use a fence um as a as, as a snare line um so all these things have changed to, to get away from that from the badger um but there's still problems out there and there's the same again as we said i've had them get into um into snares that are set higher um and quite easily let out you get there you can let them out um because it's not a killing snare it's right. really like we um, but it's minimal if you hit them, if you set them a nice height, it, that does minimize a lot of it. Uh, uh, true, true enough, yeah. yeah. So with the with the code, the new way the code of practice is going, um, got one here. Um, that we now have a breakaway in the in in the, in the snare. Um, and same again, we've got a code of practice, but we don't have a standardized snare. So you can still make you could make your own snares, you could use different components um and then there's a the one that's that's so this is the one that's been uh granted from a lot of things so i'll run that up a bit um so there we go so that is if you can see that so it's got a, a sliding lock a relax lock system on it still got yeah. to stop uh, and then that's a breakaway clip um so it's just like a fishing i think originally they were used on fishing lines um, okay. And that's supposed to, supposed to break. The idea is that the pounding of that, the badger is a stronger animal than a fox, um, that it will break away. However, in my experience, <laughs> a, a dog fox uh, can be a lot bigger than a badger and, and can pull that. So this has caused headaches for uh, gamekeepers um, in, in you're getting to snares and they're just breaking out and you're catching foxes and they're breaking out. Well, what um, is that set for? I mean, like, what 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 is the they they must have? If you're having a breakaway on it, it has to have a certain pound rating. What what is the poundage? It, 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 this is set just over twenty. So yeah, it's not it's not a lot. So this is the problem. I mean, I've I've you know I've shot foxes weighing well over twenty pounds. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've had a, I've had a couple. I've had one got one got up to uh, twenty three, um, and I believe that. that records are, are a bit slim but somebody claimed to have one at 25 pounds last year in the country um so that's a fair fox that's a oh, good size that's that's a good size cave <laughs> yeah 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 it's been living I'll, well i'll take a 25 pound female coyote every day and man because she, she'll bring me bring me the most money that, that's another, another side of it if you think fox are tough be glad you don't have coyotes because over yeah. here the fox are the are the idiot cousin to the in the canine family <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's only because the coyote is worth money that and and people are targeting the coyote so much over the last eight nine years that the fox is making a comeback here right. because coyotes eat fox i yeah, mean it's yeah big fish eat little fish all the time and and uh, and in the in the play uh, the game of things well a fox is a good meal for a coyote and and uh you know so they they eat them all the time and the higher the coyote population the lower the the fox population is 
And now, yeah. you know, when you, when you do a lot of, especially, I, you know, I, I do a lot of trapping around uh, in my, I live in a rural area, 50K from the nearest city. And, uh, you know, we have great huge chunks of land. So I have, I have baits that, that I trap coyote on every winter and, you know, one on my, my quarter section, another five miles away and another, another five miles away. And as, as I, uh, make an impact on on the uh the coyotes and that you know my, the fox numbers are coming back you know yeah. now now we're oh. seeing fox and i seen one the other day um she was must have been moving dens or whatever but she had had one of her kits in her mouth and she was crossing the crossing the road you know it was it, it was neat to see right people don't expect that of uh, of of trappers but uh i don't have you know really any any the only the only canine i have a soft spot for is a fox because I, I think they're they're inquisitive and and, and neat but coyotes and, and wolves I've, I've seen some horrific things that they do and i mean i i understand from your point of view what the fox does to the birds and that but that's what a fox is made for delta yeah. waterfowl comes to me every year and they want me to trap fox right now they want me to be in the marshes trapping fox right now because the birds are on the on the nests and all that and i won't do it because it's uh it's a waste I, I can't use that fur that fur has yeah. no use at all right and you know and she's got young also that that you know it's it's like trapping beaver in in, in the month of june you know she her, her kits can't swim for the first month you know so yeah. they they wait for her in in the lodge i mean it's just people look at you and they and they say well how can you kill them in the wintertime well it's easy you know <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I got no problem. I, I got no problem with killing every one of those kits in a in in a trap. I just don't want them starving to death, you know. Like, I, yeah. I, I figure I've killed more animals than the Black Death. I figure at some point I got to worry about, about karma, right? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, it, snares are your most effective then? Yeah, for for, for foxes, um, you know, they're out there all night doing what you could be doing um it, it's just the you know here in the uk we're 24 hour checks yes so um with it being a you know a holding device rather than killing device so 24 hour checks so it's labor intensive so um, with a lot of our traps you know 24 hour checks is is why we end up with more people on a short on a smaller area of ground um, to, to to get in with them regs i mean uh, one of the local people down in in, in the village um uh, was said to me last year, he says, um, I used to like uh, the old keepers, they always used to walk everywhere. And I said, how often did you see them? About once a week. I said, exactly. Because yeah. when they were doing it in the 70s, they were doing whatever they wanted. Um, and and they were, their checks weren't as regular. Um, and they didn't have the machinery to get around. So there's not more, a lot more regulation now. Um, and, and we've got to, you know, we've got to do things right. So it, it just means that you end up with more people um you know to do the job properly nobody nobody ever figures that do they you know nobody no. ever figures that uh how many how many snares would you run at any given time um so that all depends on on the time and um you could you could go with a blanket um but what i would say is is, is just like anything and like you, you'll be the same yourself on your trap line um, when you're learning in a new bit of ground, you'll put traps and snares everywhere because you're thinking, well, that looks okay. I'll try one there, I'll try one there. So we, we've probably gone from running, you know, upwards of, a, of a 100, 150 snares in peak times in, in, in wintertime to 
now we could get away with you know 40, 40 snares in the best because we know where they run or where they where the usual places are for them so these are um, all blind sets then yeah yeah they're um a lot of them are on what we'd call an open open track open trot so um there's tracks whether it's in the heather on grass um um and just no bait just yeah um, on the on the travel um especially at this time of year in the winter time we can use we can use bait um the problem we have um is that if you use they were traditionally called stink pits or middens so you use a lot yeah. of old dead stuff and, and the smell is attracting them um i found they only work well in the winter um and before christmas after christmas i struggled to get a result with them um and then you've got to keep them fresh and the problem we have with as many people and, and public um, is that they'll end up nowadays, they'll end up on Facebook and it'll just be a, a look at this, we found this. And, and open land in England, open moorland in England and Scotland uh, is open access. So anybody can walk wherever they want. Although this estate is owned and we have the shooting rights and we have everything else, they could walk wherever. It's illegal to tamper with a snare or a trap. But it does happen, and it's increasing because there's more and more people. Um, so you've got to you've got to now think that when you're setting a snare or setting a um, a trap, uh, snares especially, is is will somebody come along here walking their dog? They might not be supposed to be there, but sometimes it's ignorance; they don't realise that they, they shouldn't be there. Um, and, and other times you will get a, an element of maliciousness that will sort of damage them, tie them in knots, you know, render them useless. Um, so you've got to factor all that in. Yeah, the malicious part, we understand that. I, I understand that from the UK. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I'm on speed dial by all by all the, the, the cat ladies living in their, in their mum's flat. Because you know, yeah, I'm always fascinated to talk to somebody like you, you know, like my, my, one of my peers, and and you're in in the UK because that's that's not the impression we get whatsoever, you know. It's yeah. just like that the hunting culture in France, like people are just like, you know, are you kidding me? You know, and I, I yeah. no, you you know, if you you get out there, it's it, it, it's fascinating. You because we don't see that part. We always just see the the angry hate and, and and all that kind of stuff on on Facebook. What other animals do you have to control? What what else is is vermin? So we've got, uh, so the mustelid family are our next one, really. Um, so uh, there are there are otters in the UK, but they're, they're the same as the badger, really highly protected. Um, don't, you know, wouldn't really affect us. That's more of a fishery, rivers, um, things like that. They were they were extinct not too long ago, and the otters made a massive comeback, uh, enormous. Um, so the, we deal with the, the smaller mustelid. So the stort, um, which I believe, you call a long-tailed weasel with a black tip on the end? Well, there are there are three. They're ermine and yeah. or weasels. So there's the least weasel, and it's this long tail included. Then there's the short tail weasel. He's about this long. That's a, that's a good one, around 18 inches. And then the long tail is is almost like a mink, uh, you know. Yeah. And probably you know, like so with with uh, with tail and everything. The yeah. difference between them all is just the size. They all have a black tip. They they're brown in the summer, turn turn white in the winter, and Right, yeah. So we've we've got a, so we call it a stork, which I assume it'll be related some somewhere along the line, and that has a black tip on its tail. And yeah, your bigger ones from from head to tail tip, you, you're going to get around that sort of 
up to 18 inches downwards. Um, uh, so we call that stort, and that turns white in winter. So that's the only British animal that, that, that turns white in, in, in winter. Uh, sorry. And um, then we've got the weasel, which has a tiny, tiny little short tail, and that is about half the size. Um, so they're the two muscleids uh, we, can, we can trap, um, including the American mink, which we'll release from the fur farms in the 80s and 90s. And they went through the countryside like wildfire. Um, so they are, if you catch a mink uh, in, a, in a cage trap, say, a live catch, you legally cannot release it because it's a, an invasive species. So um, there was quite a push for mink, certainly around yeah, late 90s, early 2000s, the, the American mink was killing uh, our native waterfall and nearly to extinction. Um, and there was quite a lot of work done with that uh, trapping mink, um, quite successfully um, in a lot of areas. Uh, and there's an argument now that the increase in the otter numbers is having an effect on the mink, but it's quite anecdotal. I've never seen any evidence for it, um, but I do, it, it does seem to be less mink getting caught, whether that's just a product of, of being you know, hounded quite heavily over the last 20 years or not. Probably that. Probably also, I mean, competition. Competition. Yeah. I, I, the, I don't. I'm not going to say that the otter eat mink. Like, I, no. I can't. I can't prove that otter eat anything that doesn't have scales or or, or web feet. Like, I mean, um, there's a lot of conversation that people believe that uh, that otter eat uh, muskrat and, and beaver, but I can't prove it on my on my trap line. And I have, you know, you know, otter have those great toilets, right? The communal toilet where they that day they all go poop in the same spot and 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 it's it's black it's oily it's 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 grainy and um i ran my finger through a lot of it looking you know and you find you find the, the most amazing stuff that i find is is little tiny like fish bones yeah. uh i find like fine scale we have a, a a little minnow that's about that long uh called a stickleback and they they eat uh, untold amounts of sticklebacks and they're quite a heavy protein oily fish that kind of stuff that's probably why they're so fat uh occasionally you'll find um you know from larger fish you might find a, a frog leg or something but i've never found fur i've never found like yeah. where where i could say that they had been eating muskrat or or that they had been eating a beaver uh mink however eat a lot of muskrat like they yeah. say that that's 60 percent of their diet and the other 40 percent is is hair which is amazing yeah. to me because of all of the mustelids, the, the one that got the most short changed on, on traveling in the snow or anything is the mink. I mean, yeah. he's, <laughs> he's got tiny little feet. Like if you take a look at a Martin and a Martin and a mink, pretty much the same size, probably weigh the same. A Martin is really long and skinny, but uh, they pretty much weigh, weigh, weigh the same, the same. And a mink will have this little tiny foot that that, that wouldn't uh, cover up a, uh, a penny or a dime here in Canada and a martin has one that's this huge one the martin floats on top of the on top of the snow and a mink goes to the bottom every time like it's really easy yeah. to tell <laughs> tell a, a mink trap in the snow right and and his his feet aren't webbed and yet he's he, he's aquatic you know I've, yeah. I've watched him struggle with fish as big as them i don't even know how he began to catch them because if you, you ever watch it mink dive down into the water and swim and that's the most awkward thing i think i think they just bore their i bore the, the their uh, uh their their victims to death that's all it's like yeah, ah, he's yeah. never gonna get here you know ah, look at that you know just bores him to death and then oh no he's got me now what you know and you watch them struggle with them and 
I, I watched one, one struggle with a fish uh, um, on YouTube there, and I thought the fish had drowned him several times, but he every time he come back, like just tough, <laughs> tenacious. But I, I think I think uh, competition might be the big thing. If your otter are making yeah. a big comeback, that that yeah. could be a big deal, right? Um, that's something more like it really, really does. But uh, they're a bit of a. We don't get too many mink here, and they're, they're certainly becoming less of a. Seem to be on, on the decline, um, which is a good thing. Obviously, they are an invasive species for us. Um, and then the say the stork, same again with with storks, is trapping all year round. So um, they're often in a, in a in a box trap. So we we went from um, I've got some traps here. Um, we went through, did Andrew? I believe Andrew Dean showed you a, a gin trap, did he? Hey, Rich here. Sandy and I are pleased at the rapid growth of our exclusive community, Trapping Inc. at Locals.com. We created the community to connect more closely with our fans, friends, and supporters without the interference and censorship of social media companies. Because this community is subscriber exclusive, there is no censored photos, shadow banning, and deplatforming as happens on Twitter and Facebook. Trolls are non-existent, as not a one will spend a nickel and put their money where their mouth is to protest on a paid site. You know it. We are steadily moving all Trapping Inc. YouTube videos and podcasts as quickly as time and bandwidth allow. We're tickled and surprised to see how large of library we must move. As well, we are sharing articles on trapping and guns and shooting. Our new TV series, Married to the Hunt, videos are here too. Hours and hours of never-before-released to the internet hunting and fishing from around the world. Trappinginc.locals.com will be the exclusive home of all Trapping Inc. content from the past and into the future. What else is there to do? Well, there's a forum for everyone to post pictures on and interact. You can message us directly on trappinginc.locals.com as well as interact with all the other subscribers. These are all people with common interests. Get in here. This whole venture is about taking the Trapping Inc. TV community to the next level, building a community of shared interest and interacting with all of our friends. Who knows where we can go from here? Just go to locals.com and sign up for a free account. Then search for Trapping Inc. and subscribe for $5 a month. That's it. Go to locals.com to open a free account and then subscribe for $5 a month to Trapping Inc. Help us spread the truth about a way of life and the responsible, ethical management of the wild resources. Trappinginc.locals.com. Now back to the show. When he was on the podcast, uh, we went. So we had for years that. You see that? Oh, that was yeah. the, That's the gold standard of, of a, a small muscled trap. In, in this country, really. No it's kidding. Cheap, effective, and it sets, set it now, it sets flat. Wow. So we would put that in, in a, the, the, the laws around that are quite ad hoc. So the, the changes in traps in the UK in 19, oh, oh, no, uh, 1958, the gin trap, which was like the long spring, yep. uh, was, was made illegal. Uh, and they launched a, a competition um, to find the replacement. Eventually, that's what they came up with. So from 1958, that's largely been. It didn't look like that. When it first came out, it looked like that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's, that's the same trap. So that is, this is a Mark I. Um, I mean, the craftsmanship on that is fantastic. It's, uh, it just shows how uh, how we've altered and we're now mass producing things. 
but that was a Mark One fen trap. So it gets caught up where your hand is. The animal That's gets it. That's it. So that goes even stiffer than the old one. It's even, even better. Oh, um, yeah. So that comes around. And it does just have a little bit of a, a U in it. Um, and then with a treadle plate in the middle. Uh, and these, these were designed to be killing traps? Yeah. So these were designed for killing traps. The idea was that... Whereas your gin trap was like that, and there was, yep. was a long spring. So the idea was that if something else got into it and it closed, they couldn't get out of it. You know, there's right. no way yep. of getting out of it. The idea was that if they got into one of the newer traps and there was something bigger in it, because they, hadn't, they had nothing to lock it and it was just the force of the spring, if something bigger got in, like a dog or a, a you know, fox or badger, it, it could get out of it. So it could pull itself out of it because there was no locking device on it. Um, and that's where they went to. When they did it in 19, in where's the mid 50s when they announced that they were going to ban them. Uh, the irony is that they, they banned in 1958, the, the big gin trap was banned in, in England and Wales. And Scotland carried on using it until 1971. <laughs> so um, I quite know uh, why that was. Um, and and the, the, this launched, as, as with anything, you know, necessity breeds invention. Um, so they launched so many other traps that came out at the same time to, to kind of create the problem. So um, there was either vermin traps by stoats um, and things catching squirrels or, or whatever. Uh, and rabbits was a massive thing back then, huge. Um, uh, especially in the 50s, the, the, the whole country was overrun. Uh, if you talk to the old guys, everyone lived on rabbit in, in the UK. Rural England lived on rabbits. Um, and it wasn't until they introduced myxomatosis from Australia that really knocked the numbers down. So rabbits it, were... It, introduced what? Uh, myxomatosis, which was a, it's a, a disease carried by fleas. Oh. And it, was, it was invented in, um, in Australia to kill uh, rabbits there. And then uh, someone had the brainwave that they would bring it to England to kill their rabbits. And it spread throughout the country and it still flares up every year around the autumn time. You'll get a flare up and it will wipe out. Um, you're probably looking at nowadays, it depends on how, how severe it is and the weather conditions, but it could knock out three quarters of the population. Holy cow. Um, but it's now a recurring um, event. Um, if you talk to the old guys when it first came in the 50s, it was, this was devastation. They couldn't find a rabbit. They'd gone from eating rabbits every day to not being able to find one, it was that effective. And they thought, you know, some people thought, well, that's it, you know, for, for arable purposes, we've created, you know, we're not gonna have any problems with rabbits eating crops. Um, and up until then, you know, it, it was it was a, a massive thing. So that they, when they were banning, the, the long spring gin trap was used for everything, um, whether right. it was bigger foxes or anything like that. And, and <laughs> they came up with things like this, which is, <laughs> Quite intricate, but quite, and, and what happens is there is that it sets, those jaws come apart. Let's see if I can set this one. I'm not going to do that one because it's too heavy. It's exactly, <laughs> roughly the same. Oh, man. There. And the idea that that jaw there, the rabbit's head gets caught in it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's quite precise in the, in the way that it works. Well, that must have been in a box or something in order to. To position the yeah. head properly, huh? As it was, and what they did, and you'll see when I hold it up now, I'll set it. So that's that's it set. So if you were looking at it, you would be looking at it from that angle. 
Um, That's the approach the idea, angle? Yeah. So the okay. idea was that it was set in a rabbit hole, the entrance to the burrow. Oh, gotcha. So you, you side to the burrow, and then you would enter from there. So you'd hit the plate first, and when its front feet touch that, its head should be over those jaws. And it oh, would catch it on the cool. neck. So that, so that's uh, it would as, as it would trigger. Um, I'll pop the I'll pop the anchor peg in it. See if I can do this without getting my fingers. <laughs> it would it would close like that, and you effectively your your head would be through there. That is cool. Uh, like we we didn't have anything like that at all. Yeah. So that it was quite a precise, you know, quite a precise thing to use. You know, you're, you're going for a head strike back then. Um, a lot of things are body grip and, and, you know, just get something in a trap. Uh, that in its day in the 1950s was, was directing for a head and neck hold. Um, well, a quick, quick kill and you, and you weren't damaging meat or anything else, right? That's it. It was, it was trapped for meat. I mean, uh, I met a, a, you know, he's dead now. Um, but when I was starting as a trainee, um, he was in his 80s. Um, he was, was mid-80s. And during the Second World War, um, he uh, looked to you know to sign up and things, and they told him they wouldn't send him abroad to fight. They instead shipped him to Cumbria, um, which is on the west coast of uh, England, to a huge estate. And his job for the whole war was to trap rabbits, so that he could provide food. Oh no, kidding! Because so, when he told him he was a gamekeeper, they said his skills uh, translated that he could be useful doing that, and that's what he did for the whole war. He was trapping rabbits and feeding, you know, the local population around him. That's, and that was his job. That's bloody amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and now I know why all the old English families that I know have grandma's favorite Hossenpfeffer recipe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you folks are really good at eating rabbit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Some, I've spoken to some old, old farmers and they, they lived on it. And then when they brought this, you know, the, the disease with the, the myxomatosis disease came in the 50s, it, it, some of them had put them off for life because they were seeing them dying and it just looked horrendous. Um, and, and, you know, massive change. Let's like say now it's, it's populations have recovered to where this is a, uh, an annual event that will knock a percentage of the population down, but not kill it, not wipe them out. So they've, they've developed some sort of immunity or, or some yeah. level of resistance. Is this a, a, still a good thing today? Like at one time it was thought to be a good plan to bring that disease there, but is, would you rather it was gone or? Um, I think nowadays we're just used to it. So it's a natural occurrence that, that just happens. I mean, if we're honest, I mean, I don't think we'd want to do that to things nowadays, you know, the, the ethics around bringing a disease like that are, it'd be a, you know, an absolute minefield. And, and then uh, it, it's also a resource there that can be harvested because while certain things and certain game struggles to sell or you, 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 the price of, um, so things like venison selling deer prices goes up and down like an absolute yo-yo, um, rabbits are the most consistent thing uh, you'll ever get. You'll get £1.20 for, for a rabbit all day long and 20 years ago, I was getting a pound of rabbit. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's never, it, it, the price of them hasn't really altered, but there's always a demand. And, it, and, it, and it's amazing because you talk to a lot of people and they don't, a lot of people have never tried it. Yet there's, there's butchers and, and the game dealers that will 
bite your hand off if you can get good clean rabbits. So you can actually sell a you can sell wild shot game. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So there's there's not too many laws around. Uh, th- th- this is the problem where, where um, years ago poaching came, uh, which obviously was, was quite um, prolific. Is because you didn't have to have a license, you didn't have to have anything to sell games. So they'd be selling them to the local butchers, um, and that still is the case. But the, the prices have gone down so much that you you know you you guys that with the poachers have kind of grown up and then their offspring are too busy playing on tablets and iPads now to go out yeah. and do the poaching. So um, that whole sort of aspect is gone. So uh, once upon a time, the gamekeeper was chasing around poachers on a, on a night. It still happens. But a lot of the time now, they're doing it for sport rather than a commercial aspect. Um, they're doing it to sort of fill the time, you know, or, or, or use a running dog chasing hares and rabbits. Um, so you can still sell things. Um, and that's quite it's quite liberal to be fair there's not a lot of restrictions on that if you can find an outlet for it see over here liberal is a bad word <laughs> <laughs> liberal means on the left progressive social that kind of stuff yeah it's liberal's not a good word we, we, we use other words than liberal if we're, if we're talking about about it being quite relaxed and, and normal you know <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to use the same language, but our, our political spectrum is just, it's all cent, yeah, centralized. They're, they're, they're so, yeah, they're so alike now that we don't really have a left and right anymore. Oh, we still do. We have a very distinct left and right. But but the weird part is, is that left has moved so far left and, and right has moved, so, uh, you know, a little bit more, more towards center. The, the right is actually to the left of center now. Like, yes, I remember yeah, yeah. the last great liberal government we had was, was Jean Chrétien. And Jean Chrétien today would be to the right of the, so, uh, of the progressive conservatives today. Like, I mean, yes. he, he was more, more right than, than, than they are today. And, and of course, the, the liberals today, Trudeau and the rest of the idiots are, are so far left that nobody can even find them anymore. Yeah, I think that sounds very much like our political spectrum. <laughs> 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 uh, you uh, said, though, yeah. I'm sorry, uh, you, you said that uh, you, you're now having to change traps for That's to become it. current with uh, a Ahidus. That's it. So, um, I mean, you said it was in the, in the 90s that you changed. Um, yeah. We, we've, the reason... The, the UK got away with it for so long, if you like, was because we didn't trap for fur for so long. You know, in, so, and I don't care how you justify it. When you kill an animal, you should use it. And exactly. Them, like, you know, they have that huge problem in the Netherlands with muskrats, which yeah. they, you're welcome. You know, we said, <laughs> <laughs> they kill 400,000 of them, you know, hundreds of thousands of them every year, but then they incinerate them. Because it wouldn't yeah. be ethical to use it for anything. It's like, I don't get it. You, you've got to control yeah. them. You, it should be put to use. Yeah, right? absolutely. You've already you've already created the product. Yeah, yeah. Just use it. It, yeah. So I mean, so because you guys didn't do it for fur for to to resell the fur that you were exempt. Yeah. So there was a there was a, a reasonable taxidermy market for good ermine stoats. Um, uh, moles moles used to be sold quite easily. Uh, quite readily um and, and 
for taxidermy? Yeah, uh, no, for um, skinned out moles and then for sent away. So, um, I mean, I imagine your mole's exactly the same. Um, a mole had to make a nine inch board stretched to sell. Um, um, and one old gamekeeper, I went as, when I was to train A, uh, I went to see him one day and we went to get a crow off him. So a crow for a decoy for a, for a trap, so a live crow. And he said, it's just in the field behind my house. And we're talking a hundred meters from his house. We jumped over the fence. He pulled a mole trap out of the floor and there was a mole in it. He grabbed the mole out of it, was carried on talking to me. We walked a hundred meters. In that time, he pulled out his pen knife. He never stopped walking and he'd skinned that mole in the time it took him to walk a hundred meters. Yeah. And he dropped, he dropped the rest of the mole carcass in for the, for, to feed the crow. Um, and I took, I took the other one out and, uh, and then he said that that'd be a, you stretch it to a nine inch board he had to make to get to get a, a price for it and he's probably one of the last people i know that was actually doing things like that what were they using the mole skin for um for, for clothing for clothing yeah. never heard of clothing. such a thing yeah so we have um over oh, in this country yeah, a lot it's all a lot of it's fake now but mole skin trousers were the the, the absolute norm and uh, they were traditional countrymen's wear and a lot of the a lot of the moleskins use all like for um, jackets and hand warmers because it was so dense and, and soft. Well, you know, and I've 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 often read the term moleskin pants and that, but I didn't realize they were actually yeah. made out of mole. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think I think traditionally they were. Um, there'd be a long time as they went off it, but things like say the, the hand warmer sides of your pockets were were still used for for certain places like that. Oh, that's cool. Because I like I know a lot of people back back east in the U.S., especially Kentucky, Tennessee, and that that they're ADC trappers and and uh, they have big businesses for mole. You know that that yeah. that's a big thing because of the damage they do in people's uh, lawns. Uh, yeah. we have we have a very different culture here as far as the, the groundskeeping and that where you know our lawns are are these wonderful things that golf courses would be envious of, and of course moles make a huge damage to that yeah so, so what traps did you have to upgrade to then you had to go to to uh, certified body grips yeah uh, no so th this is a pro this is what i find interesting especially watching your show um is that you've got body grips and the amount of things you can use um so i've, just, I've still got it here so that, that was our gold standard the fen trap it could be set largely anywhere that's a mark four you used to get a, a well you, you can get a mark six which is bigger um, which is uh, which was for rabbits and mink. Um, that could be set anywhere. So it's flat. You could put it into a rabbit burrow. And the laws around that were pretty. I'm not going to say I'm not going to say the L word. Uh, pretty relaxed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and as long as that had a had a was covered from the top, um, there was only one part of entry. Or if it was in it was in a room. As long as it was covered from the top, so you couldn't get anything else like a bird or anything bigger in it. Yep. You could set that wherever you liked, as long as you were happy with the restriction uh, that had happened. Um, the killing times on it, I think the, they said that they was, these things were supposed to kill in about a minute. Um, a lot of the studies showed that they probably weren't that great, and it was a body grip as it closes, it's a body grip. Um, and we, were, we did have a, a small body grip, um, which is like a single spring, 110. Yep. Uh, that's obviously outlawed as well. We're now not allowed body grip traps. We have to have head striking traps. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Now the, the theory on that is 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 
sounds fantastic, but getting getting a, a direct head strike um, has created so many problems. So now we we uh, require them to die in a few seconds. Um, so the only alternative at one stage was the um, uh, Australian dock trap, so DOC, uh, and they do a 150 or a 200 size. So that's a 150 dock trap. Okay. Back a bit. So yeah. setting an L shape, um, and then it, it, it's got a serious spring on it compared to everything else. So that that's, comes back, latches on there, and then the plate. Okay, and then it's sprung by. And it's sprung. Boy, <laughs> 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 that, 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 that's a large pan below, is it? Yeah, that's it. So I'll just hold that. So that's, that's the pan. Large pan there. So that's your, your pan there, your trigger handle. And the horrible thing about them, I've nearly got my finger in it there. They don't have a safety on them anywhere. <laughs> so you've got to get this right first time because these things are you i used to get my fingers in the the old style traps many a times and you could just take them out and if it was a cold day it would sting a bit um but these things are you know these things are finger breakers um serious traps um the put these traps through um a series of tests so uh, instead just of making sec, any... just 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 one say me lift that up and, and can you lift lift up that the, the jaw or do, you know, just tilt it towards me so I can see that jaw? Yeah. How, so how can that? Like, no, I want I want to look at what actually strikes the animal. Well, so the whole the whole thing. So that the yeah. Whole thing, yeah. So how is that supposed to target their head when I mean, is it to crush the skull? Is that the idea? To crush, yeah. To completely oh, okay, crush. Okay. Okay. So okay. I'll, I'll I'll get some. So, I'll get some pictures over to you. I'll, I'll try to get them across. But um, it basically, if you get a, a, a weasel or a stoat in there, it just flattens it. Gotcha. Absolutely yep. flat. So it completely flattens them, crushes them. The idea is that they will hit early on and it will hit them a head strike. And then if they get across it so far, even if they were sort of on, on, on this end of it, having come across, hopefully the head would get hit as well as the body and it would die within seconds. But we found okay. that these traps, they're so powerful for their size is that a lot of them are bending themselves after a fair bit of use. Yeah. Um, they're just so, so aggressive. Um, our body in this country, uh, or in the UK, uh, called DEFRA, um, they assess traps to, to try and, and uh, so they've got a spring, spring trap approval order. To make the spring trap approval order, you have to, they have to pass, um, kill eight out of 10 stores in the required time frame. Now, as a trapper yourself, if you're going to get something to go into a trap, you will use a bit of field craft, you'll use a bait, you'll get it to walk across where you want it to walk across. <laughs> the stories that came out from the labs that were testing them, um, these were lab workers with no prior knowledge, and, and they wouldn't know. It was absolutely not their fault. Uh, the consultation, instead of being done with people on the ground and how would you make it work, they were testing them in labs so they could test the strike rates. They were, they were paying people to bring in live stores so they could test. Uh, but instead of using field craft to make it walk over that section, they couldn't work out how to do it. So they were putting them in boxes and in runs and baffles and chasing them with a broom. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, the, yeah, if, 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 
<laughs> and the broom. Uh, I'm dying. Yeah. On, I'm dying on the broom, man. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely crazy. Because if they, if they done it in consultation with people that were trapping, they would have said, "Look, you know, we can make it go over that plate." We'd be fairly confident if we could use use a you know a bit of field craft and bait and and taught them how to do it. But no, this this uh, it was ten thousand pounds to test each trap, um, and these things were were done over months and, and they had to get live stores to do it and, and it, the process went on and on. But they couldn't work out how to get that store to go over there off its own accord. So they just wanted to put it into the box or the enclosure that they had it in, chase it through the trap, bang, there you go, that's job done. Tick, it, tick the box. Now, the problem is, for them to do that, they created baffles and things on the, on, the, on the other sides of these traps to do them. So you cannot set that trap unless it's in a box, which a lot of traps are the same. However, to get it to go over there, they, had, they narrowed it down so much that you had to use a, a two, two and a half inch hole. So that's a box. That, that's what we have to live with now because they chased it with a broom. So that is now the standard size of, of a UK must lid trap. Oh, I'm sorry, but <laughs> because they chased it with a broom, you ended up with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, they, th there is different takes on that. You can have a mesh cover of inch mesh. Um, as long as that that makes the required, as there, is a, there's a, there might be a mesh cut out that makes the required size. But that hole, and this whole enclosure, whatever you make it out of, cannot be bigger than two and a half inches at that, at that end. And that is only if it's a blind baited tunnel. If it's a, um, a, what we would call a run-through tunnel, um, where they can go straight over it, um, it, can, it has to be two inches, so even smaller than that. So, uh, so they've really, um, from, a, from a working perspective of the, of the layman and the working man, it just created headaches and problems um, that didn't need to be there um, if they'd use consultation with people. So yeah, if they'd have just used the asset of you people. Oh, and it. you set it sideways in there. Yeah, so it goes through. So through the hole at the bottom and hold it straight up. We'll go yeah. through the hole at the bottom there, but yeah. obviously you set, set it flat. And then that that is also, <laughs> back to the broom again, um, there also are stipulations that, so you see it from that side of the, of the box, there can only be less than a 10 millimeter gap between that side of the box and 10 millimeters from the hole, uh, the hole at the bottom to that plate. It, cannot, it, can be, it has to be less than 10 millimeters because they found that when they were chasing it with a broom, when it was under, under steam and it was going flat out trying to get away from the broom, it would be jumping over things and it'd be jumping around things. And it would, so if there was any gaps around it, so this is what we're left with. <laughs> my gosh you just want to you want to take the broom and, and beat them with it chase them with yeah. it <laughs> take them down a hallway while they're getting flogged with a broom and then and then watch them go when they're not getting flogged say do you see the comparison here <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's freaking amazing i mean i i understand the necessity for science and and to test stuff you know i we and Canada sets the gold standard for that with uh, the Fur Institute of Canada testing traps and all, all that kind of stuff. But at least they do it. They use a lot of, of trappers to do it. Yeah. And right now we're we're studying kill springs on 
on wolf and coyote uh, snares. And yeah. it's all being done, but using the technology involved with, with trail cams. So, mm. you know, you have, you set up a, a, a snare, coyote gets into it and it's all recorded, you know, so that yeah. we can come up with best practices and, and, you know, how, how we, you know, specifications for cable size and springs and all that kind of stuff. But, but I mean, at least there is some, some actual hands on boots on the ground doing it like, I mean, yeah. like you're ever going to catch a stoat that's just been freshly chased with a broom. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 the, the, the one thing I will say is that that sounds, this, this sounds crazy. It's probably the now, it's now, we don't have three options of a killing trap for muslins. And this is the best one. <laughs> really? Yeah. So, um, with having used it, and, and you, you, as long as you abide by the, the stipulations of your of your hole and your, your distances at the end, you can use a wooden box like I've got. You can make a plastic one. You can you can you can use what you want in that respect, as long as there's only one entrance in, and those parameters are um, adhered to. Um, so they then did the process for for other things. And these I found these fairly effective in a in a blind baited tunnel. So with a, in the winter time we use rabbit meat because that's the main food of the uh, of the stoat and the weasel, um, and uh, we've got grey squirrels which are invasive um, and use uh, wheat for them sometimes just quite easy and then it doesn't doesn't rot doesn't go off yeah. uh, and in the summertime we'll switch on to eggs so really? spring and summer so that's the difference between like likes of yourselves and I mean a lot colder up there as well we're a grey wet warm little island really um and that because we trap year round we've got to find baits that will last and eggs are about the only thing that will last through really? a summertime yeah yeah now they're not as effective as a as a as a, as a flesh meat bait in the winter you, you what we try and do is get the majority of our our catch in the winter um yeah. and then we, the, the the summer trapping is is kind of a, a top up um and but it does still work you do still get um stores and weasels going into to, to eat eggs um so it, it, it's a it's a bit we can use I, I pulled two two stores actually this morning out of uh, you know coming for for eggs um, yeah well i mean and it's funny because you know we our home quarter here is you know a quarter is half mile by half mile so we take the dogs for a walk every night you know you you, you do two miles right roughly roughly two miles as, as you wander through on the trails and everything but but the number of eggs shells eggshells that you're finding right now on the on the ground in that you know yeah because our partridge are are, are nesting and and i have to keep my dogs under control because they will chase them off a nest or whatever and 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 that kind of stuff but you know they're the uh the coyotes and, and everything else the skunks and, and all that they're all all very busy with uh you know this time of the year with with the nests it, it's amazing how, how many damaged eggs you see right yeah exactly massive and, and amazing what will eat an egg as well whether it's you know even things like um wood, woodpeckers and things like that yeah um you know amazing when you see nature it's uh amazing what will eat yeah well i could keep going on but we are coming up on two hours here and i'm guessing you got something else you'd rather do it it's evening there <laughs> 
It is. It is. It's going. Uh, I will. I will no doubt before long. We're going back out to see if there's any foxes this evening. And <laughs> so is there to help you go check? That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I, 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 hopefully, I'm entered into your competition for the trap line. So if you pull my name out, I'll get some flights booked. Well, that'd be cool. That'd be very cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what. You learn about cold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well roger it has been a pleasure i want to do this again uh no question there's just so much we could talk about for forever yeah uh, definitely. It, it is uh we didn't even talk about any of the any of the people that have gone hunting or or some of the uh of the the celebrities i know one of our friends in south africa his wife is somehow related to the royal family and has gone foxing or hounding or whatever you call it with oh yes with, yeah with with prince charles and yeah and so quite quite you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> my wife loves all that stuff <laughs> it's just it's a small world when you get into into those type of things yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway i'm gonna let you go i'm gonna i'm gonna get us uh get us out of here but thank you so much for your time sir yeah no problem all right it's been a pleasure all right. And I hope everybody else out there has had just as much fun as we have. This is going to have to go up in two parts because it was two hours long. But uh, thanks for, for being with us and maybe we'll see you down the line.